0: I happened to go to a concert of Ozzy Osbourne. I saw 17,000 kids there. Not a smile in the whole group, very somber. And it's not music, it's frantic, frantic noise. And I saw 17,000 kids that raised their hands like this, which is the sign of the devil, as you know. And they said, Ozzy, 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 Ozzy. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast, where we geek out about all things Ozzy and all things Ozzy related. I am Josh Crum, and with me as always is Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? I am doing great, Josh. How you doing? Doing awesome, man. Excited to be here again this week. Oh, yeah. Excited to be here again for a cup of coffee. Yeah. Also joining us today is our main man, Ryan Beavers. What's up, Ryan?
1: Buzz. How's it going? Been way, way, way too long. Appreciate you uh, including me in this one.
2: Yeah, it has been forever. And I got to state right out of the gate, guys. Thank you, Mr. Ryan Beavers. I'll be honest, if it wasn't for Ryan's patience and nice words of encouragement, I don't know if I'd continue. And i am just being honest, Ryan. So thank you so much for being a great friend more than anything. So I really appreciate it.
1: Like I told you guys, it was kind of, you know, playing my small part. is was therapeutic during the, the COVID madness. And uh, so I was, I've been bummed. And again, life happens We've all been going through our things and uh, just glad to be back uh, yeah for sure because
0: Ryan was the one you know like Dan said last week I was giving him all the time he needed in the world but Ryan was the one getting irritated he's like dude what the fuck <laughs> I I'm, like, I'm gonna go into our chat and like and say shit and like poke Dan in the side and get him all pissed off and see what he's <laughs> going, you know what's going on Oh, and yeah. I'm always, like, secretly, like, concerned that their friendship was going to break up or that no. something was going to happen. <laughs> They're going to get pissed at each other. And they never did. So it was all good. But, yeah, I was always kind of like, all right. And then Ryan actually messaged me that night. I was like, I missed a damn podcast. And I'm like, me too. And then I messaged Dan. And Dan's like, I'm ready. And he was like, oh, OK. <laughs> Let's well, thanks, Ryan. Before he changes his mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, there, it's going to be something way more egregious to come, I think, between all three of us. Yeah, for sure. But, Quick story, anybody that doesn't know, you know, obviously Dan and Josh met in person for the first time last year, and I've not met either one of them, despite me and Josh have been at the same show a handful of times. It just never worked out. Now, Dan's gonna be in Chicago for work next month and I'm gonna be twelve hundred miles away vacationing with my wife. <laughs> the exact same dates. It'll be forty five minutes forty five minutes from my house and Still not going to be able to meet up with the guy. <laughs> yeah, isn't that fucking crazy?
2: What other chances? I'm going to be 45 minutes from your house and you're out of fucking state. It's crazy, dude.
0: I know, and I've been at two Black Sabbath shows that Ryan's attended the same show, and we can't get up with each other either time. One time, my phone died, and we didn't know each other that well then. And then the second time was when he told me he was out busy drinking with his other friends and didn't want to come in and see me. <laughs> That's a different topic, but whatever. I'm still a little salty about that one. But.
2: Hey, I will say this though. Thinking positively, when Ozzy does his Vegas residency, it's on, right?
0: It's on.
2: All three of us. Yes. With the lives, the whole thing, three, four days in Vegas, see him a couple of times.
0: No fucking – Got to work it it out out. one way or another. Hey, guys, real quick before we get into this week's episode, I do want to give a shout-out to Mr. Aaron Dangham. I may be saying that wrong. It's D-E-H-G-H-A-N. But anyway, he was very quick to respond to our last episode and let us know and give us the news that we didn't even realize ourselves that Pantera's set at Aftershock has switched days. So, Zach Wild will be available to play with Ozzy at Power Trip. So, that's actually very good news.
2: Yeah. Let's go.
0: Yeah, good job, Aaron, and uh, calling us out. And there was another guy, uh, John was his name, on Twitter who also mentioned it a few days after Aaron did. But, yeah, that's great. I think the ultimately the big news with that is is that Zach being on stage with Ozzy makes Ozzy more comfortable. And for this return show, he definitely needs to be as comfortable as possible. And anything that makes it easier for Ozzy is great news, right?
2: Yeah, I agree 100%. But what does that do for him playing shit from patient number nine? Right. Yeah, I think what we're going to see. I still believe it, since it's just a one off, that we're going to see Andrew Watt on stage for those songs, just like we saw before the Rams game. I really hope that's what happens because it'll really suck if Patient Number Nine and Degradation Rules are not played at that show. The only fear I have, I'm super excited for Ozzy to be on stage. And we've talked about this ad nauseum on and off camera. My I just, the same set list over and over and over again gets really tiring. I just don't want 50% Black Sabbath songs either.
0: But at this point, any set
1: list, we're happy for him. I mean, of course, but yeah, of I, course. I know what you mean. And I'm bummed to hear that your guys' auditions didn't work out, but mm-hmm. hopefully you're still able to uh, clean the port of johns Josh.
0: Zach's a pretty good player, man. I mean, I got to I gotta give it a hats off to him. I mean, it was a tough competition, but Zach Wild, he, he beat us out. Yeah. I mean, well, what can you say? He's, he's, he's a pretty good player.
2: Yep. It's unfortunate. I mean, he's all right. He's all
0: right. (laughs) Give him his due. He's all right. You know, I mean, if you just like all that squilling all the damn time or whatever he does, but whatever.
1: (laughs) Hey, uh, before we go too far here, I do have a little bit of a bone to pick with you two. Uh Uh, My good friends, dear uh, Dink and Doink, starting uh, rumors on the Internet If anybody listening to the last episode that I hate over the mountain. uh, That's not true. Oh, that's not true. I don't hate Over the Mountain. But the quick side story, and I've been getting shit for this for a year and a half, is the uh, album openers episode. They reached out to me to give them my own list. And I think Over the Mountain was about halfway or two-thirds down the list. Two-thirds sounds about right. Yeah, and I've been getting shit ever since. But you know what? It doesn't sit up there quite as well as Parking the Moon. I don't know. Perry Mason. I will say that it's probably gone up the ranks a little bit since but hate is a strong word and i would not use that for over the mountain
0: <laughs> i seem to recall vividly you saying that drum intro sucks
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> no that's one of the greatest <laughs> drum intro's ever one it of the really greatest is. randy solos ever but just one of the greatest ozzy melodies ever all right oh one of randy's my greatest mind. Solos it's number one sure. it's also oh. the best closer
0: <laughs> real quick on over the mountain let me just throw this at you guys, spitball this. Who do we truly believe wrote that intro for Over the Mountain? There's always been some beef over it. Do you guys believe that Lee Kerslake wrote it? Do you believe that it was actually recorded at some point with Frankie Benelli and Lee used it? What do you guys think?
1: 100% I believe Lee Kerslake wrote it. I'm inclined to think of that it's Kerslake, but there's so many things come up over the years that this person wrote that vocal line and this person wrote this intro and this person wrote that. Like, I don't know anymore. And unfortunately... Chris Lake's not around anymore to to put that to bed. If in fact it you know it is a rumor that he didn't, but I'm inclined to think that it was him. Are we
2: sure Carmine Appice didn't write it?
1: He probably <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, maybe he yeah. probably claims yeah. it. Yeah, he also wrote you know Rat Salad or whatever too. So. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, all of it. Yeah, <laughs> but that's a great question, Josh, because <laughs> it is. It's a fun debate, right?
2: It is. And I think that's what the show is really the spirit of, right? Is is that sort of shit. I just don't know why his film wouldn't have been used earlier. Because to me, I don't think Over the Mountain was written before Blizzard. That's where I think the hole in the story Rise. is. They didn't have Over the Mountain completed by the time he auditioned. That was a song written for Diary later on in the sessions. They had all their material done. Matter of fact, they had so little material, they had to take off, help me out, guys, looking looking at you, looking at me, to put on No Ball Movies. Because that was such a brand new song. If Over the Mountain was written at that point, it would have been on Blizzard of Oz.
0: Right. You know, I'm one of those people. I always believe the truth is in the middle. So I, for one, think Lee Kerslake wrote that riff. I think that's his creation. But I believe that Frankie, I don't think he's full of shit either. And Frankie's a fucking phenomenal player. Like, no, no question there, right? I think Frankie played something similar enough that he believes maybe Lee lifted it. And it's just happenstance. Kind of like Randy playing Black Sabbath in the middle of Over the Mountain, right? right. It's a total fucking happenstance. And Randy didn't like Black He didn't like Black Sabbath. Everyone knows that. I think it's probably just more of a quinky dick than anything.
2: So, but what were they playing? That would be my question. What was Frankie Benali jamming to to write the intro to Over the Mountain?
0: Right. Frankie, Dana Strum, Ozzy, and Randy. That was initially going to be the band, right? That was right. the plans that they stayed in, in, a, in the USA. I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear what they were jamming on, that he could have played that, that he believes it was lifted from. I will tell you this, though. A lot of people have not noticed this. I'm sure we've discussed it before. But a quick thing. Bob Daisley's grill tapes, which we're never going to get to hear, unfortunately, except for the clips he has on YouTube. If you go listen to those now, you know, he's had those out now for, what, about 15 years? Because we're on the 10th anniversary just the other day of 13, Right.
2: Yeah, can you believe that? If you go
0: listen to those clips, you mm-hmm. can hear the vocal melody that went on to become God is Dead in those clips.
2: Yeah, yeah. what was that song called on the Bob Daisley tapes?
0: I can't remember now. Yeah, I
2: can't it's, remember. A, it's eerily it's similar. similar. It's yeah. dead on. Yeah. But can you guys believe that? Ten years tomorrow, well, when we're recording the show, ten years tomorrow, that 13 has been released. That boggles my fucking mind, guys.
0: Absolutely amazing.
2: Uh, we were bitching last week. I was at least. And I know Ryan's going to be on my page here more than Josh was. Dude, they don't have a fucking vinyl release of like Peace of Mind, Methodemic. All those extra songs have never been released on vinyl. Why the fuck didn't they repackage that, including the end songs, on a double vinyl package? It would have sold like hotcakes, dude.
0: 100 Free cash.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. free cash. Just put them out there. I mean, what do you got to lose? Yeah, the end tracks and then just the bonus ones, you know, Best Buy, all that stuff. You can just yep. eight track, or what, seven, eight tracks, whatever would end up being. Do eight a double tracks. sided. Yeah, it would be cash. huge.
2: Yeah, it would have been six And on top tracks. of
0: that, the, the end tracks aren't streaming. So then you, it would give people at least a chance to get the download card, right? So if they wanted to put it on their phone or on their streaming site, they could still have that also. So it would be a double bonus for people who, like me, I upload those CDs. Real quick story, this side story. When Ryan and I were both in Chicago to see Black Sabbath on the end tours, not two of the tour. And they had those the end CDs, and I was like, we got to get to the fucking arena now. Like I wanted there so early, and that's how I beat Ryan in, because Ryan was out drinking with his friends. That's why we didn't get up with each other. But I went into the arena, and I got the last CD on the shelf, didn't I, Ryan? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. The last one, and I came back to the room. The first thing I did was upload it and send it to them motherfuckers that yeah. I'm looking at right now.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a, it was an amazing
0: euphoric experience, dude. I remember being in the taxi cab and I'm like, go, 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 go. Because <laughs> I knew that, because I had heard that in Omaha they ran out. They put Omaha, Nebraska the night before and had run right. out of them. And I had heard that and I was like, fuck. It's amazing that they limited how many
2: per show that they were selling. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So yeah. weird, isn't it? I still can't believe those are not readily available to stream. There's some good tracks there. I'm sure Absolutely. our listeners have heard them, but if you haven't, they're all online, I'd imagine. I mean, we own them, so I don't really check YouTube, but some really good soons. I would say this I think since the 10th anniversary is coming, I'd like to throw my hat in the ring to say let's we should be doing a full blown 13 deep dive including all 16
0: tracks it'd be an amazing that'd be fun. Yeah okay. yeah that would be a fun the 13 sessions would be a blast that would be great we could even do two episodes maybe and do one on the actual album and then a the second sister episode that would be on the other eight tracks
2: Yeah that's a great idea Josh perfect So Dan before we
0: get into this week's episode tell us about some news man what's going on
2: Well, the big news this week is Geezer's book has been released, and unfortunately, none of us have read it. I am planning to get it shortly. Josh and I have discussed we're trying to find ways to get Geezer on the show. It would be amazing. We have our contacts out there, but nothing yet. So I would say there's some cool rumors going around. The first one is... Geezer came out this week on the 2001 sessions and basically said how much he despised really the material and kind of flippantly said, I think Ozzy and Tony kind of liked it. But he felt Scary Dreams was the best song out of the bunch, which if that's the case, and it's probably not that great because to me, Scary Dreams is not a great song. And to come out of it, he claims that Jeff Nichols not only wrote the lyrics, but also wrote the vocal melody line which would be very strange, because as we know, when that song came out, they said specifically Bill Ward wrote the lyrics, and we just assumed Ozzy wrote the melody. So what do you guys think?
0: Yeah, definitely interesting. I, I, I'll just be honest with you. The minute he said I didn't care for it, but Ozzy and Tony seemed to like it, I thought, okay, I'm back in. Fucking <laughs> like, like, I want to hear these again. Like, Right when you're taking me down to where I said, maybe it ain't really worth my effort to worry about these tracks. Well, Ozzy and Tony liked them. I'm like, okay, yeah, bring them back, because then I picture Selling My Soul or your Psycho Man, and I'm like, okay, well, if that's what Ozzy and Tony have in mind, then I'm fucking all down for that. Both of those uh, songs shit all over Scary Dreams. It's not even close. No question. Oh, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. No question. And Scary Dreams, I actually did enjoy it quite a bit, but it was just the nostalgia of a new Sabbath tune. And I remember being at OzFest and it's being so zoned in that they were playing a new song. But at the same time, like you said, it definitely never really picked up. But that's definitely a holy grail of sessions that we may never hear is the the, the, the 2001 demos for sure. He said, what, six, five or six
1: tracks, right? Yep. I don't know about Nichols writing the lyrics. I, I remember, I don't know if it was Ozzy or Tony or both or whoever. It might have even been Geezer back then. But my understanding was that it was Bill. And if if you read the lyrics and then you go on Bill's Instagram or whatever, it is kind of like in the vein of his poetry. Like he kind of has that like macabre, you know, he does have some lighthearted stuff too. But he just, he has a way of writing that I could see that 100% being right up Bill's alley. To your guys' point, too, it's a very slow, meandering song. It never really goes anywhere, and it doesn't do any of those highs. or It never speeds up. We talked about that, like the way Ozzy always likes a song to build and build via God is Dead. That never does it. And I remember seeing it that first time, for whatever reason. Ozzy started in Chicago that year, and it was the third song in the set. It's just like—
2: Wow. That's early.
1: It was weird. Like, they opened with NIB. I think they went into Into the Void, and then that— it's just like everyone's kind of just standing and like looking around and someone never went anywhere. And that was just over.
0: The 13 album did that, too. I mean, like you go to the 13 tour and when they would go on the end of the beginning or something, everybody's just kind of like eh. yeah. and people just kind of suck for new material. So when I saw the Pixies a couple of weeks ago and I was telling you guys this, they
2: literally played their whole new album life, every single track on it. For me, as a diehard fan, I fucking loved it because I've seen them so many times that. I've seen their hits over and over and over again, and ultimately they got to do it for themselves. And I think that's where a lot of these older musicians are. And I think it's really cool that some bands out there are like, well, this is what I want to play. Maiden is a great example of that. Maiden does a great job of playing the new material live. I 100% support it.
0: Well, just watch the bands when they're on stage. There's a whole new juice when they start playing the new tunes.
1: Yeah, but I also understand the bands that don't. I told you guys I was there for Maiden in Chicago back when A Matter of Life and Death came out. And they opened that, and they played the whole album through. And that was like pre-YouTube and all that. Nobody knew. You want to talk about a dead arena. Like right. It was... Barely anyone knew the songs as it was. And then it just kind of kept going. And then you get these songs that are eight minutes long. And it was uh, an interesting reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have
2: to kind of look at it, what the tour is. So like with the Pixies, it was called the Doggerel Tour, which is the name of that record. Right. And not every spot they're playing every track. You know, one thing about them is you could see them three nights in a row and you could see almost a 50 percent different concert every night, which is really cool. Unlike our man Ozzy here. But if you're going to see a show and it's always been my bitch about Ozzy, like the first time I saw the Osmosis tour, he didn't play one fucking song from Osmosis. It was so heartbreaking and yeah. that's so frustrating. And then as future albums came, you got the maybe two, maybe three, if you're lucky tracks, I think down to earth gave us three, but if you're touring for a specific record, I think you should be playing four or five new songs off the record. If you're doing a greatest hits or going on our summer tour, then let's play the
0: hits. Yeah, I agree with that totally because there's tours and there's album supporting tours. And there, there is kind of a difference there. And I can go with you on that. I want to back up real quick to what Ryan said about the lyrics of Scary Dreams, though, sounding like Bill's poetry. Dude, you're dead on you're dead on because bill puts that shit out all the time yeah. and the whole thing is just a reflection of life right there is no getting old no get, no dying but you know it sounds so bill i, I sometimes they, like you said the other day to us on our group chat these guys are getting they're 75 76 years old now and the memories are starting to get a touch foggy i think sometimes i think their memories have always been foggy <laughs> if you want to know the truth well oh. aussies for sure yeah.
2: well, they are always inconsistent with their information
1: 100 yeah. percent and In one of those interviews, it might have been with Rolling Stone, I can't remember, the geezer said that he had a guy, like, basically come in and, like, fact-checked him a little bit. Well, there's only so much you can fact-check. Yeah, but that guy was Dan Drago, so... (laughs) (laughs) wrong. yeah, you can fact-check a release date or a tour or whatever, but as far as, like, interactive memories he may have, like, who... No one's fact-checking them sitting in a studio and what came to be, so...
2: Here's the irony, and I know Josh is going to relate to this. I mean, I've probably written hundreds of songs in my life, and that's not to brag. It's just the process, right? And I could tell you every song who wrote each and every fucking part of it, what line, what riff, I could tell you who brought it in, 1,000%, every one of them.
0: I got to say, I think I'm that way also. But the guy plays bass in my band, Jeremy, he might would well tell you a different story. There's times Jeremy will mention a riff, and he's like, I wrote that, and I'm kind of like, thought i wrote that and then it makes me second guess and maybe jeremy's right i'm not saying he's wrong but i'm like oh i thought i wrote that so while i'm convinced i remember all these parts maybe i'm not so accurate either and that goes to tell you same thing for like bob daisley and these guys they've been in this for 50 years in this game when people are like what base did you play on you know this app? It's like, How? they don't remember that shit no they way I, I couldn't baseball. tell you that yeah, yeah, it kills me and when people act like they recall that. I will say, for me, the most accurate book has been Rudy Sarzo's Off the Rails. If you haven't read that one, it's my favorite. And the reason it's so accurate is Rudy kept a journal, a daily journal, and he just references it. Literally, it's a day-by-day on tour with Ozzy and Randy Rhodes, and it's
1: phenomenal.
2: Bob also claims that he did keep a daily journal as well. Yeah. So, and I really love it's Bob's true. book. I think, for fact's sake, is fucking awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, and keeping in mind, too, Geezer and Ozzy for years— consume their body weight in booze and cocaine, so that'll play a part, too.
0: (laughs) One more thing about Geezer's book that he mentioned in the same article that Dan referenced there, though, was the 2011 breakup with Bill, and Dan sent us the clip today from Rolling Stone where he kind of opted himself out of the decision and said that he and Gloria were on vacation and came back, and that Ozzy and Tony had made the comment that Bill wasn't up to task with the touring and production of the record and had made the decision to move on from him. And totally takes himself out of the equation of the decision, even backing up on things he had said at the time and saying he wished he had never said them because he was just told this or told that. Just my opinion, kind of a bullshit move. What do you guys think?
1: I don't like what comes across as revisionist history. And it's easy at this point, you know, a decade plus removed from the very beginning sessions like, oh, I, I had nothing to do with it. I don't know, guys we all know that gloria his wife is his manager also to think that they weren't somehow involved in the decision of bill being out like they just got off an airplane and found out i don't buy it at all you can my you might have been on vacation but you guys were texting and emailing back and forth the entire time about it don't buy it that it's that easy to wipe your hands of it and it was the evil deeds of you know the iomi and osborne camp i don't buy it Yeah, he
2: completely backtracked, didn't he? Right. So the irony thing is, is he also claimed a couple of things in that article, too, that he's officially retired. So that kind of, in my opinion, kills any hope of one last Black Sabbath show with the original members. I still think he'd come out and do it. But, you know, there's a lot of talk of the rumored blues album that Sabbath was going to do after 13 in between tours and he kind of talked about that it never went anywhere because tony wasn't healthy enough in my opinion there he's also passing the buck on tony where we've been talking about it for years i don't think he had any desire to continue on on doing another sabbath record and the last thing of course is news that josh and i broke over close to not over close to a year ago that him and ozzy were not talking we heard that back at the patient number nine show ozzy had mentioned it and brought broadcast that on our show so now that news is just blown
0: up. Yeah, the minute we left Sirius XM Studios, like Dan and I looked at each other, and like the first thing we said is, it's like Ozzy just said he hasn't spoke to Geezer since the last night of the tour, or the day after when they did the Angelic Sessions." We both were like, "What the fuck?" We even talked about it with Jose Mangan of Sirius XM. We talked about it at the fucking Mexican restaurant with him. That right. was some huge news, and Jose even told us that news will help break your podcast. Because when you get that after to the world, it's going to be massive news. He's like, I heard that, too. That's a huge deal. We're like, yeah, it's a fucking huge deal. And Ozzie and Geezer haven't spoke. And we put it out there, and apparently Blabbermouth and folks putting our news up ain't fucking important enough because it didn't go anywhere. <laughs>
1: well, and then the interesting caveat to that was that they don't have a problem. It's their wives that have a problem. And Doc. we have discussed this you know, amongst ourselves many times. I am in firm belief that Ozzie... Would have gotten together, back together with Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake and Jakey e. Lee, if it was solely up to him. He would sit back, have a beer with those guys, and jam in a heartbeat. But you know, some people get in the way, and you know, if- Geezer went into the same thing. Their wives, Sharon and Gloria, got at, got into it, and now for whatever reason they don't speak. It's unfortunate, but it's, it seems all too common. Yeah,
2: it's really heartbreaking to me, and. Really, Geezer and Bob's comments are very similar, right? I mean, Geezer just said, Ozzy's got a huge heart. There's no issues between Ozzy and me. It's the wise. That's what he almost said verbatim. Bob in his book basically said, I really just miss my friend. And I, I miss hanging out with Ozzy. I mean, two very loyal guys that were with him for years. And I mean, I hate to be on the negative train here, but... It's fucking heartbreaking, man. Those guys were a huge part of this. And fuck, Geezer played on Osmosis. He did the No Rest for the Wicked tour. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was beyond him above Black Sabbath. I mean, a fucking solid friend who also stepped in to play bass for Ozzy for many years.
0: No, it is. It's mind-blowing. But, you know, at the same time, it's like... If my friend is sick, I'm going to reach out to him. It takes a real beef not to reach out to your sick friend. And Ozzy expressed during the patient number nine party that we were at that he was very – he acted very hurt that he hasn't heard from Geezer at all. He's like, you know, you kind of find out who your friends are. I've heard from Tony and We're closer now than we've ever been. I hear from Jonathan Davis all the time. I heard from Bill, he even said. I hear from Bill. Me and Bill talk almost every day, I believe he said, didn't he that effect. So Ozzy seems really bothered. I think Ozzy definitely feels like – Maybe he doesn't know the whole story, but he definitely feels like geezer just doesn't want to speak to him. I think that's fair to say after hearing the way Ozzy said it. As far as the wives go, from what I understand, Gloria and Sharon have always gotten along pretty well. You know, I've actually had the fortune of meeting both of them. They're both actually extremely humble in person. Sharon was way humble in person and really blew me away. And Gloria, when I asked to get a picture with her, she was like, Why do you want a picture with me for? Like she's just blown away. She's not as recognizable as Sharon Osborne is, obviously, right? So it kinda I think kind of freaked her out. I feel like That for years, a lot of the issue has been that Ozzy and Tony were all down for another album, and Geezer didn't want to do it. And I think at some point, they got pissed off at each other over that. Geezer said in the Rolling Stone article that he's getting paid a quarter of everything. So that's not bad. He's getting his part. Ozzy and Tony do split the name Black Sabbath, but Geezer's still getting his equal share. So it's not a money thing. He definitely seems like the one that didn't want to be a part of any more albums.
2: And it's not like Ozzy and Sharon were nefarious on stealing the name from him because he clearly said he sold his rights to Tony in 1984 for the name. And to me, he got 25 percent of the money. And, you know, damn well that he made some fucking coin those last seven, eight, ten years that they were torn together. And on top of that, I mean, he even came out with Deadland Ritual and said, I forgot what it's like to start up a band. He was used to living in the, the high life and the higher regencies and all this other shit. You know, I'm sure he got fucked somewhere along the line, right? I mean, there's something there, but I guarantee he made more money in those last 10 to 12 years. than he probably did in his whole career
1: to piggyback on that a little bit. I think despite, you know, what the fan bases have said over the years and what's portrayed in the media, we can probably all back up and reading many, many, many interviews or listening to many interviews over the years that like, Almost anyone that's worked with Ozzy genuinely loves him as a person and just misses him. So like anything that's happened has just been business, shady, or however you want to look at it, it's been that. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think we were missing out on a lot of things that could have been just because a couple guys weren't able to just get together and do guy things. You yeah, know, just hang out. You mentioned that Bob had mentioned
0: in his book, Dan, how much he missed his friend. Ozzy said the same thing in his book. In his book, he does not by any means dismiss Bob's contributions to everything. He doesn't. And he says in his book also that how much he misses Bob. So, I mean, clearly these two guys still have a connection. It's funny how everything seems to turn back to Ozzy and Bob all the time. But there are similarities. And, you know, it is kind of a shame when life gets in the way sometimes.
2: Yeah. And I'm not going to go down this wormhole now. I just want to state for the record, there's this misconception that songwriters don't get a credit for their work. And the only album that's ever happened on was Bark at the Moon. And we've discussed this, that they took a payout of upfront money. And we, we know Jake's out of the story. I believe Bob said in his book, he advised Jake to take that so he wouldn't get fucked over royalties. But really, Bark at the Moon is the only thing that people didn't get songwriting credit for. Every other album, people are getting songwriting credit for. Every one of them. The one issue that Bob and Lee had was they were not getting performance royalties for the first uh, for Diary of a Madman specifically. Correct. Right.
0: That's how I understand it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it wasn't a writing credit. It was never at the writing.
0: It was never but the writing credits. Right. Yeah. So it's all strange. You know, who knows? And hopefully, Geezer and Ozzy can work this out. But, you know, one thing I wanted to go back, way back to what you said early on, then, that this kind of squashes any Sabbath talk. But Geezer did say in that same article he would be down, not necessarily with Sabbath, but he's down for one off shows, appearances. So there could still be a Sabbath at a download festival or something big one day. It, that could still happen, I think. Yeah, that would oh, be
2: amazing. One-off
0: one off. One more sure. thing he mentioned, real quick, that I wanted to throw out there at you guys before we go on to today's topic. He mentioned that O2 academy show in 2012 with black Sabbath was it 2012 I believe right right it was before they released 13 yeah and how that was one of the best shows they've ever played this show was professionally filmed and has never been released and I have said for years they need to release it there's a few clips online and they are fucking smoking hot I think the reason they don't want to release it is that Tony's wearing a wig where he's in the middle of chemotherapy treatments and stuff, and he looks a little different. It's not awful. He don't look bad, but if you don't know, you that like, what's the kind of Tony? He looks a little different. But, man, the clips that are online really are hot from that show, and when Geezer mentioned how good that show was, I was like, ah, oh, they need to release that for the world, man. Like It would be really cool, and to me, it's triumphant for Tony to be playing that in the condition he was in at the time.
2: Totally. Hopefully someday. There's so much shit in the vaults, you know, it's going to get released. The funny thing is is they did ask him about unreleased material, and I actually don't think Sabbath has a lot of unreleased material from back in the
0: heyday. Very little. It it didn't really happen much back then, right? I mean, not like it
1: does today at all.
2: Shit, they had to write Paranoid in the studio to fill the fucking album. I mean, that's how little material
1: they had. Yeah, it's usually forty minutes and they're out. All right, are we ready, Josh, for today's fucking
2: amazing topic that Ryan and I are going to uh team up and fucking pummel you into submission?
0: Are you guys the rock and roll express or the midnight express? Which fucking one, one are you? Midnight Express. Always. The, the Midnight new Express. Are you are you beautiful Bobby Eaton or are you gorgeous Stan Lane? Which one are you? Uh, oh beautiful Bobby Eaton. Always. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be the hero. Brian's a, a little bit younger. He has no clue what I'm talking about right a now. A little bit younger. <laughs> was Stark, in college when I was born. Stark 884, baby. <laughs> Bring <right>. it on. <laughs>
2: and then I'd be hanging out with the amazing Jim Cornette. So You're definitely right,
0: Night Express. Kentucky guy. Uh, Jim Cornette, he's around all the time.
2: All right. So our topic today, we are continuing in the patient number nine discussion series. And today is the fantabulous. Mr.
0: Darkness. Fantabulous.
1: Right. Fantabulous.
2: fantabulous. What was, that's what you said last week, right? Yeah, Josh? Fantabulous. Yeah, yeah, Fantabulous. I told you that's going to be the new word here. All right, so patient number nine's uh, Mr. Darkness. It is written by Ozzy Andrew Watt, Robert Trujillo, Ali Tamposi, and Taylor Hawkins. So this track features those people on, on their respective instruments. So we got Andrew Watt and Zach on guitar, Robert Trujillo on bass, and Taylor Hawkins on drums. With of course Ozzy singing. All right, guys, you started off. Let's start off with Ryan. What's your initial thoughts of this track?
1: So I'm gonna just throw this out there now, and this is kind of what I alluded to, in joking that me and Josh are gonna go to war here. God, I don't. Here we go. All right. I don't say this lightly, um, because like the shiny new toy of patient number nine is kind of worn, right? I think on all of us now. It's just it's part of the canon, and we can appreciate it for what it is. Mr. Darkness is my favorite Ozzy track of the 21st century. Damn! It has hit me and grown on me and like stayed with me in a way that I just never, never anticipated. And again, I wanted to make sure, and it's been, what, nine, ten months, that I wasn't just kind of leaping at this, the excitement of it and the, and the newness. I fucking love it so much, beginning to end. It's so different. It's so unique. I personally think it's one of the most unique songs in Ozzy's like solo catalog. The tempo changes, and like, it just it has everything. It crosses everything off the list that I love in an Ozzy song. I'm more than pumped for this episode
0: i get it man i know when we first started this patient number nine series you told us early on you said when you guys do mr darkness i'd like to be on that episode so we have known that this one's hit you right from the start it's definitely a great song and i agree it does stand out through his entire catalog solo of like it's it's a different kind of track i love the peaks and valleys of the clean moments with the guitar and stuff then when it just really kicks in it kicks in like heavy too you know the fucking killer and Dan, gets is the biggest kick out of this. He's you all can't see it, but he is rolling over there right now. Are you OK, Dan? Can you breathe? I'm
2: good. That was my favorite part of the episode. though. It yeah.
0: But now it, when it kicks in, it, it kind of grabs you by the balls. I mean, the first time you hear it, especially it's like, oh, it doesn't just take a turn. It takes like a U-turn. It's like so fucking quick. It is a great song, man. Gorgeous. my girl, Allie Tamposi. Everyone knows like, I got a crush on this chick, man. Like everything she writes is gold in my eyes, and I can't wait to dissect with you guys what we think the song's actually about, because that's the true topic of this song for me, but I'm with you, Ryan. I do love it. I wouldn't say it's my favorite song of the 21st century, but I do understand how it stands out. It doesn't sound like any other Aussie song, ever, but Zach Wilde is the standout performer on the track. Zach's playing on Mr. Darkness is right there with anything he has ever done with Ozzy Osbourne. The tone of his guitar is fucking spot on and i just love his playing he's not shredding at all he's just playing sweet ass fucking rock and roll and that's is zach Wild. i love
2: yeah i couldn't agree with you guys more and i'm on ryan's page kind of it's in the discussion for me as being the best ozzy song of the 21st century along with maybe under the graveyard and another song off this album that we haven't gotten to yet and holy for tonight It's in the discussion for sure. And I think Ozzy is the standout performer on this. This is my favorite vocal performance on the record by far. There is something about Ozzy's voice on this song that harkens back to Diary of a Madman for me. And I don't know what it is, if it's the vulnerability of his voice. Just, it reminds me of kind of like that You Can't Kill Rock and Roll vibe vocally, where you just really feel what Ozzy is singing. And I think that is a highlight of the song. I love the arrangement. I remember specifically... When we were in California listening to this first time, Josh, just being like, that was a weird song, but there's something about it that I can't get out of my head. And I think what the weirdness is, is Taylor Hawkins performance, which I fucking love, by the way, everything states that he should have went to halftime on that chorus because you have that nice pretty beautiful acoustic part in the verses it's really emotional and then that heavy chorus kicks in and you expect that halftime feel that most ballads have yeah for sure i hate to call it a ballad but you know that soft to heavy vibe and instead he plays that straight beat which is kind of like whoa it's like a fucking punch in the face and it's awesome awesome
0: great call that is the punch in the face no doubt about it (laughs) so raise your hand i did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I need to quit doing that. You know why? Because I raise my hand and then I get a kick out of myself. And then I forget what my point is. <laughs> so Josh
2: is raising thing. his hand in Skype. <laughs> you know, Ryan and I are like raising, literally raising yeah. our hands to say, I'm going to say something. But Josh is clicking like yeah. the fucking raise your and hand you He's so professional. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And then cut to Josh, who's cross-eyed and forgets his thought. <laughs> and blurry Actually, my his thought thoughts. was,
0: I want to be clear about one thing real quick, just so we know. When I say the standout performer, Ozzy's always a standout performer. I mean, other than the Oz man, you know, that is without saying Just to be clear, because Ozzy's always a standout performer. He's fucking phenomenal. And he does. You say harkens back to Diary of a Madman. I can kind of see that with this for sure. To me, the vocal performance of the album is Nothing Feels Right. I have a similar in that. The end, that last chorus, when he goes up, I just fucking, uh, I love it. But
1: I do totally get your point with this track. Also, for sure. You Said it well, Josh. You said something well. Imagine that. If the peaks and valleys of this song are unreal, there's again the tempo changes and the all the Ozzyisms throughout. The oh yes, come on now, like all of it, and that like downshift. I don't have the musical terminology that you guys have. That hits at 317. It just turns into like another song altogether. Before it kicks into the bridge, there's so much going on between like the little like keyboards layered in the background. Trujillo sounds phenomenal. I recommend if you've never like paid attention to it with headphones on, listen to what Trujillo is doing on the bass, just underneath, kind of dancing around Ozzy's bridge. It just like is sprinkled along in the middle there, and it's absolutely just gorgeous. It's also, you know, to Josh's point, Zach just sounds phenomenal you could tell it's right off of what we've discussed was that doom crew sound he stopped overdoing it and he stopped stepping all over the song and he just kind of went to like older zach where his solos are complimentary. At no point does it, you know, does it step all over the rest of the song. It just fits perfectly. It's clean. It's graceful. It's, it adds so much to it. Sorry, Dan and I, you're raising your hand. but uh, oh,
0: yeah, Dan's hitting he, the raise your hand button now. He's trying to be <laughs> I, I taught him how
1: to do it, see? <laughs> I never knew that I would love Taylor Hawkins in an Ozzy track. I know he's on multiple tracks, but as much as I love him throughout this, he fucking kills it. And I know that there's more out there that we've kind of like touched on a little bit. I really hope we get to hear those someday. I I can't I just can't say enough. I don't have a thesaurus in front of me to say any more better words than I have already. But fucking love it,
2: man. I'm going to come back to the point I raised my hand on. But you're you're spot on about the Taylor Hawkins stuff, because in my brain, the three Taylor Hawkins songs, Parasite, Mr. Darkness and God Only Knows, which we haven't reviewed yet. They're very high on my list. I'll just give a spoiler alert now. I sometimes wonder what could have been if the band was Andrew Watt, Taylor Hawkins, Robert Trujillo, and Zach Wilde as his band going forward. That would have been fucking a phenomenal lineup. No offense to Chad Smith, because I think Chad is amazing. But there's just something about the three Taylor Hawkins tracks that I fucking love. So a couple of things about this song. I think this song is the epitome of what Ozzy talks about when he went back to Andrew Watt and said... We were a little too straightforward on Ordinary Man. We want some more dynamics, better arrangements. And I think this song is the epitome of that. How cool is it where after that second chorus, we get that heavy fucking bridge.
0: I knew exactly what you were going to say.
2: Yeah, exactly. That heavy bridge. Ozzy sings those come on nows. And then we get a bitchin' lead. And then we come in with another bridge with a totally different riff. And Ozzy sings the melody. And then we have another lead. It's fucking so cool.
0: And then the second lead is slower and more down-tempo than the others. And it's like, fuck. So you have Ozzy doing the peaks and valleys with the song. And then you have Zach doing the peaks and valleys with the fucking guitar solo. And it's like, oh, my God, it's so fucking good. Maybe you're talking me into it being the greatest song of the 21st century. I don't know. That's (laughs) the point of the (laughs) show, my man. It is such a good song, man. It is such a good song. I will say this. I'm going to reveal my list just yet. But I do know already, before this episode, was before we were even tracking this, I knew – this is the song that's going to be too low on my list. I've, I've known it for for months. The whole time Dan was on hiatus, I knew this was the track that's too low on my list. So I knew the whole time
2: <laughs> I was on hiatus. I love it.
0: Hey, <laughs> I do want to say yeah. real quick that the Chad Smith thing, I kind of prefer the Chad Smith tracks, per, uh, to be honest. You know, you know, I do respect. To yeah, Taylor I'm Romans not saying scene.
2: let me just clarify. Yeah. I'm not saying Taylor Hawkins is a better drummer than Chad Smith. When the finalists are revealed. Taylor Hawkins' tracks are all towards the top.
0: You just love those tracks. Yeah. I was thinking today, I was listening to this track a few times, getting ready for the show, and Taylor does a beautiful job of playing his ass off without overplaying his ass off.
2: Yes. Like that.
0: And in my mind, I thought, to be honest, Chad would probably overplay this, and wow. Andrew would encourage that. They've they've admitted it. Chad said, hey, am I overplaying? No, you're Chad Smith. Play. I don't give a fuck. And I And I'm down with that also. But in my head, I was listening to some of those drum parts, and I thought if this were Chad, he would have filled that in more and went a little bit – maybe a little bit too over the top, whereas Taylor did lay back and serve the song. Big time.
2: But I will say Chad does serve the song really well on Dead and Gone. Just uh, a future episode, Chad does play that song very much to the song. So one of the things I fucking love about this song – and I don't know if you guys have picked up on it because you really, really have to pay attention. Have you guys noticed in the second verse – When Ozzy comes back in, that there is a low, very low, not only in volume, but low in pitch, creepy ass vocal mimicking what he's saying. Have you guys heard that?
1: Yes, 100 percent. It is so
2: fucking eerie and fucking amazing. It It is. It's it's
1: fucking incredible. It's it's one of the points I kind of wanted to bring up because you, Dan, said multiple times throughout listening to this album about how easy it is to cut and paste. But like it, it's like almost every single time, you know whether it was it's a chorus, outro, it's a second verse, like on that second verse, like at the, the second line of it, like Ozzy hits like another register and then you can hear like the layered vocal. It is it's just one of my favorite moments on the entire album and again, one of my favorite moments of the 21st century. I agree
2: with you there. So when he goes Give me my twisted dreams and purpose in life. It's the second half of the second verse. And he takes it up an octave and he changes the melody, which is very unlike Ozzy. It's my favorite part of not only the song, but of patient number nine. Totally, Ryan, I am on your
1: page. And then they kind of, as far as like, you know, switching it up, they do it again at the end as they're hitting the chorus that last time, like he's just belting it out. Unbelievable. And that just fucking ends. And it's so perfect.
0: Yeah, I acknowledge that last, last episode, that the last chorus of Mr. Darkness is special. Like, he really kicks it up another notch. I'm going to have to listen closer to I that low vocal you already
2: I'm sorry, no, Josh. You? No, no, you that's didn't. what I was pointing at. I have goosebumps.
0: Oh, I, th- I thought <laughs> you were <laughs> showing me your no, <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs>
1: I literally have goosebumps. Don't listen to Josh. Josh fucking hates no. Mr. Darkness. Fucking yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I I will have to
0: listen closer. I will say, typically, when I listen to this album, it's through AirPods. Or sometimes in my truck. And those are not your bass, your, you know, the bass, your tones aren't coming out. this is more your high end. So I probably need to listen to something a little deeper. But it could be, too, that I just haven't noticed it to really hear it. So maybe if I listen for it now, I'll really pick up on that. So You, you can hear it through the AirPods,
2: for sure. Yeah. You just have to, you have to know it's there. And I don't know how, I'm sure Ryan, same thing. When I first heard it, I was like, am I fucking hearing that right? It's fucking, yeah. it's so cool.
0: And then it's, I around it and it's like, holy shit, that's such a creepy voice. I love that Dane rewound it, by the way. It's funny, though, because, like, your ears can do that. So, like, for the longest time on – oh, shit. The track with Eric Clapton. Oh, that's fucking karma, bitch. You you made fun of my rewind rewind, (laughs) and you lost your memory. So, on one of those days, for the longest time, like, I didn't really – I did not hear it, but, you know, the organ is really loud in the mix, not loud in the mix, but really in the mix. Mm-hmm. And once you hear it, you can't unhear it. But the first couple of listens, you really don't notice it at first. And then once you notice it, it's like, man, that organ sounds really fucking cool. And then, like, you hear it so well after that every listen. So it's going to be one of those things that once I hear that and dissect that out of the song, I'll, I'll definitely start hearing it after that. So that's cool.
2: Can I also just say, you know, I, I went back and listened to Ordinary Man this week as well, and god damn the production on patient number nine is just so much better guys it is night and fucking day the difference in production hats off and i think the production on mr darkness is fantastic but the guitar tone alone it's just incredible i think zach is a god on this track not only for his lead playing though but for his rhythmic
0: well let's go back to the patient number nine listening part of you again because i mean i can't speak for day but i like to brag that we were there because it was like the greatest day of my life so it was amazing but we walked out of the studio, and we're like, you got Jeff Beck, who is fucking Jeff Beck, and the world knows Jeff Beck. And you got Eric Clapton, and you got Omni, but we both were like Zach Wild stills the show. Like, Zach is so fucking good on this entire album. His rhythms sound great. His leads are great. Zach's tone, I'm with you, man. spot on. Well, and as far as
1: sounding better, too, remembering that it was fucking mixed three times. Can you imagine being that, the, that team or whoever, you know, however many people they switch between sending it out? And then once, twice, they're like, Ozzy fucking hates it. The labor that went into it is is there. Well, like and you can hear it. Yeah. Move. And
0: let's not forget for Ordinary Man, the tracks were already cut before Ozzy even heard them. Yeah. The music. Right. So, I mean, they literally admitted that they recorded those in a week. Yeah. They wrote right. them and recorded them in a week and then took them to Ozzy praying that he would like it. And they wasn't even sure he liked it at first. And then he. It was like, well, when we'll start on vocals, right? So, literally, it was kind of thrown together, and that's not a knock, that's actually fucking gorgeous that they were able to throw that together in a week and, and get Ozzy out of the house. And you know, by no means is Dan cheating on the ordinary man because we know that oh. he loves it, but it's like production wise, they definitely took their time. There was a reason Patient Number Nine took so much longer, and you know, kind of like Ryan said, the mix definitely being a part of it, that, Ozzy was the one that was so insistent to get remixed, you know, three times, but they got it right. That's the incredible part.
2: That mix is fucking incredible for this record. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, and to add about, you know, Josh, you mentioning the keys like kinda layered throughout. I, I know I mentioned it before, but both of you put the put the song back on and then just try to isolate what Robert's doing. It's it's so beautiful. It's, it's that like low rumble and just like just, just kinda dancing between verses and stuff like that and this but in particular what he's what he does on the bridge is just, it's beautiful.
2: I sh- would be remiss not to mention that Andrew Watt does play keyboards on this track, and so does Zach Wilde. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. A lot of
0: the tracks, I think, are both of them, actually. So this kind of interesting. Yeah. Speaking of people getting their just due, again, my girl, Allie Temposi. Dan, you want to go over the lyrics real quick with us?
2: Yeah, this is interesting. I've been dying to do this, and I have been studying my ass off on these lyrics because there are definitely – different theories on what this song is about and i'm in one camp fairly strong kind of curious to see what
0: you guys think
2: right away let's get into what we think this song is about. And before I get started, go ahead, Josh.
0: Let me just be honest. Whatever Dan's opinion is, he's probably going to talk me into it, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. It's not. probably
0: going to happen. This whatever. Let's go. So
2: before I start, there's two schools of thinking on this track. I really want to come up with a conclusion today on what we all three think it is. So the first conclusion is it's a stalker writing to Ozzy specifically a letter. And the second is someone writing to themselves, like a Jekyll and Hyde vibe, okay? Those are the two different vibes that have been floating online and that, you know, we've discussed privately. All right, so the first line, before I even start reading, I want to just throw out another Beatles connection, very similar to Paperback Writer, which the song is written, I don't know if you guys, Dear Sir Madam, right? That's how Paperback Writer starts, written kind of like in letter form. And again, I think that is done on purpose, very Beatley right there so the song starts out dear mr darkness i write you again i've been so lonely i'm needing a friend everyone tells me you'll never reply but i still try all right guys that's the first stanza what, what do we think so far
1: i'm with the i think there was a second kind of camp that you had mentioned i look at it as almost like a tag team with the patient number nine track it almost sounds like a schizophrenia talking to and reaching out to another personality that really isn't, you know, vibing or answering back to the way that he and and, and it kind of it ties into the kind of manic ups and downs of the song itself. Whether any of that was intentional as far as like the way the song plays out to the lyrics, that's kind of the vibe that I get that it, it is it's a multiple personality thing and it and it all kind of ties back to mental asylum patient number nine help me
0: yeah so real quick because i got adhd like a motherfucker what was those first lines again jesus christ (laughs) what rhymes are we going on about his opinion on the whole damn song and i forgot what the line was i'm sorry i it's okay i I zone it i'd be happy to sir dear mr darkness i write
2: you again i've been so lonely i'm needing a friend everyone tells me you'll never reply but i still try
0: obviously the introduction right i mean this is what we're getting into with this open letter to someone from someone right and like you said a minute ago the question is from who to who uh, i think i'm going to say my opinion till the end of the song okay, um, what i, I think. think and I, I definitely want to hear the arguments on it but yeah clearly someone reaching out to someone else y- you know honestly i never considered it's weird that you said that a minute ago that someone had suggested maybe it was a fan writing an open letter to ozzy I had never thought about that. They hit me like a ton of bricks. So I got I got to kind of focus on this as we discuss the lyrics and see what I think about that, because that actually sounds very plausible to me. But now I don't know where I stand on it. But, yeah, interesting lyrics for sure. Kind of like demon alcohol. Right. Where he's yeah. uh, it could be someone else singing to him. You know, who knows? So, yeah, let's go on with the, see what the next line says.
2: Well, we know demon alcohol is actually the alcohol singing.
0: It's right, that's what I'm saying. It, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So if Ozzy's singing this from a fan's point of view to him, that would be like the alcohol singing to him.
2: I'm going to point out lines where all right, I guess I'm going to blow my cover here. I am clearly in the camp of it's somebody writing to themselves. And I personally think that person is either suicidal or not wanting to live. And I'm going to tie this back to Ozzy. And I think Mr. Darkness is his onstage Ozzy persona. And it's giving him a reason to live, saying, if I can't have that crazy man craziness in my life, I really don't want to live. That, that's what I really think the song is about.
0: Interesting. Well, since you guys did, I'll go ahead and I, I've always viewed it as someone speaking internally to themselves, also. Yeah. So that puts us all three in the same camp. That's where I've always seen it as an internal, you know, confliction of emotion, personalities, an ugly side of, of the Jekyll and Hyde. Right. But I, like I said a minute ago, your comment about it being a fan writing to Ozzy, I, would, I definitely want to think about that as we go through this now because that's, that's an interesting take that I had never thought about. And you can absolutely make this argument. Listen to this stanza. My walls are
2: covered with pictures of you. I fantasize that you are here in my room. Most days I wake up just wanting to die, but I still try. God, I can't read these lyrics without hearing Ozzy. And it just gives me chills, dude. This melody is so fucking good. Jesus, it's amazing. What do we think of that?
0: So when (laughs) I've had this in my mind that it's always been an internal, you know, confliction of of two personalities – the line that's always bothered me is your pictures hang on the wall. That's always been the line that kinda of, I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, your photo's on the wall, but why would he say that? But if it's a fan writing to Ozzy, like me, he's on he's on my wall. I'm sitting here looking at it right now, photo of Ozzy. Like your pictures on my wall, that makes total sense, man. So I, I can definitely see some connections to that that got my mind triggered a little
1: bit. So we'll see. Ryan. And that and that's where like the schizophrenia part of it comes in and for me. A picture endless horror movies that we've watched over the years like like scribbles of like a black figure like on a piece of paper and like it's and it's hanging on a wall or it's hanging on a a door and like that's where my head goes and it's it's again reaching out to this kind of like invisible entity which is just another personality um that's that's what i see when i you know my walls are covered with pictures of you like that's what i see
2: What I see is actually very similar to what Ryan's saying, but I actually see Ozzy seeing pictures of Ozzy, covers of his album, his gold records, live shots. You know, my walls are covered in pictures of you. That's the guy I need to be and I want to be.
1: Well, That's a great perspective, too. It it really is. And it it makes sense, especially when you hear, you know, if you pay attention to any interviews that he's given about that whole time, just the recording process, the before and the during of patient number nine, he said he wanted to die waking up right. like going to wake up because he was in so much agony.
0: Yeah. And let's just be honest, too, when you when you really think about it, if it's Ozzy singing internally to his own persona of the Prince of Darkness, Mr. Darkness, I mean, it, it, that makes total sense, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: And that's the argument though, of people thinking that they're writing to Ozzy. That, that
0: but he's the, it message. still could be Ozzy writing to writing the to other Aussie. persona. That's yeah, that, makes, it that makes total sense. Then. Yeah. See, I thought yeah. you guys, Dan would can he bring me <laughs> around to his side? Uh, I had never thought about it as someone writing to Ozzy, and that makes total sense. But Ozzy writing to Ozzy makes total sense. Also to his other persona. I love it. All right, so here's the chorus. I give you my heart, but
2: you don't do the same. You tear me apart with a smile on your face. Your face. You don't even know my. You don't even know my name. So that that's the hook, the chorus. Great chorus, by the way, when we jump up in tempo. Josh, why don't you start us? What do you, where do you think the chorus is going here?
0: That's kind of where it gets tricky, right? I don't know. That's If you're a fan, again, if you're a fan reaching out to Ozzy, like I give you everything. I, I buy everything you put out. I watch every show you do, but you don't even know my name. So I, that I, is I, my I, argument against it being a
2: fan writing to Ozzy because Ozzy fucking loves his fans. And to me, true. this is somebody trying to say that the person – who's stalking the guy doesn't even care about his fans and to me that's where i call bullshit and i don't buy that argument and i'm sorry to interrupt you but that that no, no point I, To
0: that is a conversation so it's kind of like the song stan by eminem right where stan writes to eminem the whole time then the yeah eminem. but yeah i don't know so it's interesting so what do you think the chorus is standing for that this person has done everything aussie wants them to they bought their albums and oh, you mean before i heard this theory of it being a, a stalker or someone or- who's a fan no because no, that no, makes what, total sense
2: what do you think no matter not before this this like right now what do you think that course is is kind of saying
0: that has always kind of been the question mark for me because okay. if it's if you're talking to an alter ego you know i give you my heart but you don't do the same you don't even know my name I, that never really made total sense to me that was always part of the question mark for
1: me that I will, and the pictures on the wall
2: i will make sense of it when ryan is done
1: I, i'm on i'm really kind of on the same you know page as josh now that now that it's kind of something to light as far as like maybe thinking that this is some sort of fan letter, you know, I kind of stick to the schizophrenia, almost like a, a drug thing that, you know, Ozzy kind of plays into in lyrics over the years is just reaching out to and giving your all to something that is like almost like it's an inanimate an, an and it can't do anything for you in return. No matter how much you give to it, like you're getting nothing in return from it. That has been my perspective. So I'm kind of I'm curious to hear what you think, Dan.
2: So I think you're almost spot on, Ryan. And again, I'm pretty deep into this. So, I mean, mentally, like I really am all in on Ozzy writing to himself. So I actually think what he's saying is I give you my heart, but you don't do the same. How much trouble has that madman persona caused him over the years? Strangled his wife in and out of rehab, countless drug addictions. Like he has given everything to be this guy. At the end of the day, this guy doesn't know... How to take care of the person who's off stage? Does that make sense?
0: My right. name is John Michael, not Ozzy. Yeah, right. Yeah. You don't. Right. Even I mean, to make... possibly. Yeah. So yeah. it makes total sense. And like I said from the start, I have always viewed this as an internal conflict, but I I'm definitely liking opening my eyes to the possibility of it being something different, though. But yeah, it's interesting.
2: Now my favorite part of the song, we go to verse two. Dear Mister Darkness, I write you again. This time to tell you today is the end. I even shed a little blood on the page. Now it's too late.
1: I look at that as like the, you know, the last ditch effort of calling out to this entity, this other persona, this, whether it's literally killing themselves or if it's just like a death and like the separation of this, this other manic character. Now looking at it in the terms that you've brought up about him writing to himself, you could look at it as like this sad way of, him saying goodbye to his stage persona and like that the realization that where i'm at in my life like maybe that guy really is gone that's not how we want to think nobody wants to think that way but now that you bring it up in that light i do see that
2: yeah that's kind of and i'll go real quick josh because yeah i I, that's exactly how i take it which is he's talking to himself saying even though that guy has dragged me through the mud if i can't be him i don't want to live and that's yeah. so Aussie, what he's going through right now, right? Yeah, like, for sure. I am ready to spill my blood on the page and say, if I can't be that madman and go on tour, then I, I just have no reason in my life.
0: I mean, there's that's the only way to really take that line. It's definitely like a suicide note for sure. You know, one thing I want to throw out there real quick, too. So these people that's like schizophrenic and such also, like they don't view their like that, right? Like if you're schizophrenic, like truly, and you have like multiple personality disorder, actually, you know, and you see a photo – you don't see that as yourself. Right. So you could technically have multiple personalities and see a picture of yourself and not view it as yourself. Right. Right. Because sometimes they're women and they're actually a man or whatever. Right. I mean, it, it changes. Right. So it could go either way. It's, um, it's an interesting song. Ali Temposi is a fucking monster, dude. I'm telling. Yeah, you.
2: it's amazing. All right. So then we get to the second half of the verse, which is second verse, which is definitely my favorite part of the record give me my twisted dreams and purpose in life i'm gonna say this line and it almost brings me to tears because i think ozzy sounds so good in it maybe i'll meet you somewhere up in the sky that line just every time i hear it ryan it just moves me and i can't if you're a diehard ozzy fan you'll understand what i'm saying give me my twisted dreams and purpose in life maybe i'll meet you somewhere up in the sky i've never thought that love could bring so much pain I can't escape.
0: Beautiful stuff, right?
2: It is, dude. And Fucking it, so good.
1: It ties down posy. We need to get her on. I swear I want her on the show so bad I can't stand it. Lyrics aside, which are obviously brilliant, those lyrics only hit for me because of that vulnerability that you mentioned at the very beginning of all this. And like and that is I think what is helped make Ozzy stand the test of time. His melodies is that delivery and that vulnerability. Like he's not the world's greatest vocalist ability wise notes and everything else but like it's that delivery it's that raw emotion yeah the emotion and the realism that he hits in all of that and and let's be honest and i'm not here to rip on singers but what moves you
2: more somebody holding a note out for 30 seconds "Ah!" you know or you know that that fucking delivery of maybe i'll meet you somewhere
0: what is this You know, it stands before me. I'm like, God, I'm going to run through a wall right now, boys.
2: Yeah, exactly. But that's not like those lines, (laughs) Josh, that line, that the line of Mr. Darkness, that's what you go. This guy is. Not only speaking to my soul, he's ripping my heart out of like just touching me in no way any other performer can.
0: I know I make jokes, but in all sincerity, yeah, the emotion and the vulnerability is the key word. Dan kind of taught me that word a few years back, talking about Ozzy's vocals and the vulnerability is what's so colorful and lovable by his vocals for sure. It just no one can touch him. But in all sincerity, real quick to piggyback on what I said a minute ago about the Black Sabbath line, I the same thing with that. That's why it was so scary to me back in nineteen sixty nine to people. Like that vocal is he's not like hitting major notes or anything, but he just has a delivery that is unexplainable. Always has. And 2023, he still got it. What's so damn funny that I'm just rambling over here?
2: <laughs> no, that she said it, it was so scary to you in 1969. Yeah, we heard it here was, first. He's I, older than me. <laughs> I,
0: I meant to say scary to people in 1969, and he he has kind of an old Southern gospel vibe on that original track too, that I think kind of was scary uh, to people. It sounded he, he almost like church music.
2: A, he wanted to be an old blue singer.
0: Yeah, yeah. He never replicated that sound ever again at nope. that, that, that in, album in general I t- just who else? Steven Tyler the first Aerosmith albums kind of got a little bit of that too
2: big time to just end those lines here to me again it's Ozzy saying that the crazy persona has given his twisted dreams and purpose in life reason to exist and maybe someday he'll meet him up in the sky when when it's all over and i never thought love could bring so much pain and and i take that a couple of ways again what i talked about earlier about all of the damage the crazy persona has done to Ozzy, but also the fact that he can't be that person is bringing him so much pain. So it's a good double entendre. Great lyric. Then we uh, go back to the chorus. I give you my heart, but you don't do the same. You tear me apart with a smile on your face. Your face, you don't even know my name. So that's pretty much the rest of the song, except for the bridge. A really cool ending. And when you close your eyes at night, we'll be together. I'll be your shadow. You'll never get away. Yeah. And to me, that's just, again, Ozzy saying, no matter how much pain, how much destruction that persona has been without him, he's never going to stop doing that. He's always going to be his shadow. He's and,
0: always be in the shadow.
2: Yeah, i will always be yeah. in the shadows, and, and he's never going to get away. What do you guys think?
0: 100%. That, that line kind of seals it up, right? It, it'll always be the shadow. That's such a interesting line to say like that but yeah i think that kind of ties up your point dan that bridge right there which by the way i love that section i remember when we when we heard the track for the first time you know at sirius xm studios when dan and i were invited out for the patient number nine listening party with aussie and andrew Walt and zach and er- billy morrison and you Ozzy, guys man. got to do that anyway yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, that? it was fucking awesome and oh, man. i remember the first time we heard that song that bridge and then back into another solo i was like mind blown on first listen like oh shit like they have went there like this is different they've put some serious effort into writing these songs. Did we look at each other? Did we give each yep. other a look? What, did we?
2: <laughs> yeah. And I remember going another solo, you know, like we were just shocked that we went into another solo after the bridge. It was yeah, so Yeah. Cause amazing. you
0: kind of expected it to kind of move on to back to the chorus or something and that, whatever, you know, and it's like, Oh my goodness. This song is freaking excellent.
1: What do you think Ryan? And it ties into what is kind of a go-to topic for Ozzy, which is kind of like that demon that is always, whether it's in his head or sitting on his shoulder, it's never going away. Whether that's you know addictions that he's battled over the years or his just this negative perception about himself, just in general, you know, however you want to like kind of twist that around, it's just that demon that's following him around is never going away. So it ties into just the thematic.
0: I'm not going away. I'm not going. <laughs>
2: You know, the funny thing is, again, and Ryan, you already brought this up again, the last chorus. Josh brought it up last week, but, you know, just those little things make this album that much special. But that last chorus is fantastic. Amazing. Fucking amazing.
0: Yeah, It picks up at a whole other level right there. It's one of my favorite moments in the album. That last chorus in this song is the top five, top six moment for me on the record. He just goes to a whole other level and it's so fucking beautiful.
2: Overall, I think I still stand very strong that it's Ozzy actually writing to his other persona truthfully listeners whatever whatever you believe is great because whatever makes you enjoy the song is what really this podcast is about and i would say i feel strongly it's ozzy writing to himself what do you guys think
0: so i was convinced since the album came out that it was ozzy writing to his other to an alter ego but i never viewed it as ozzy writing to ozzy like on stage ozzy the madman I never thought about it that way. I just think it as a mental patient writing to his other self kind of deal. But after this discussion today, I'm 100 percent, 100 percent. It's Ozzy writing to to the Ozzy. But we all know the maniac, the, the wild man, Mr. Darkness. He's the prince of darkness. He's, he's definitely, in my opinion, writing to himself. And I think Dan, you nailed it. He's writing to the onstage persona that he was afraid he'll never get to see again. And that's a whole new light. I mean, it, it feels totally different now. I've Kind of like Ryan said on the intro of the song he sees as like patient number nine like these multiple personality disorder it's not that it's the it's the alter ego of ozzy Osbourne. the madman is back and
1: it's a good call then i love it what do you think ryan yeah i i enjoy that that perspective too and that's not to say that i'm leaning that way i'm like in the middle i just i like that it's ambiguous like that i like that i we don't know i'd love that it's not so cut and dry it could very well be that and i know that i didn't look at it from that perspective but it, it's definitely an option i enjoy that portion of the discussion because we don't know i really don't want to know and that's right. the
0: beauty of art right like why does well, michael myers that's, kill that's we never want to know why he kills it that, that ruins everything when we know yeah definitely i will say this I, I mean no opinion
2: is right here i mean i think it's whatever you personally believe and that's what i was trying to get at before but i am fairly strong that it's at least someone writing to themselves. It's either uh, schizophrenic like Ryan has been suggesting or Ozzy writing to himself. I don't feel as strong, nearly as strong about it being a stalker. And I don't know why to me, it just, it just doesn't feel that to me. And yeah, I, and after I don't breaking know it
0: down, that was such an interesting option at the start of the show. When you, when you said that and I was like, Whoa, I never thought about it like that. And I started kind of putting things together in my head, but the more we dissected it and discussed it, I'm with you, Dan, I think it's Ozzy writing to Ozzy. One last quick question. You don't even know my name, you asshole. Would you have left it or would you have cut it? Cut it for me
1: for sure. 1,000% cut it. Like, you know that they have a fucking blast in that studio and, like, that's just what. Just having a laugh. But, yes, as... Brilliant as the song is, I'm not a fan of it ending that
2: way. Well, it's such a heavy topic that that's why I don't like it. You know, it's not the end of no bone movies. He could have kept something funny off Degradation yep. Rules, like I love. Th- oh, I just come. I love that at Degradation Rules. But Mr. Darkness is just too heavy of a song, and it just doesn't feel like it fits the vibe for
0: me. It doesn't, and you know, it does make you laugh. When we were at Patient Number Nine, you know, listening party at SiriusXM Studios with the Aussie and and guys. Everyone got a big kick out of that. But no, so, it got a massive pop, it right? It
2: did get a massive pop, and I was kind of shocked, but it totally got a massive pop. Yeah.
0: so on. everyone seems to like it. Caden likes it. He gets to be kicked. My son, he gets to be kicked out of it yeah, every he's time. probably but not I, listening
2: I'm, to the lyrics like we are,
0: right? Exactly. That's what I was getting ready to say. He's not really hearing the song either, though. So, yeah. but I do agree with what Ryan says. They have fun making these albums, and they are just trying to give us their personality. Almost, honestly, half the tracks in these two albums have those little moments in them, right? They LT in heaven and all that stuff. You know, they've done it for both records, so they definitely enjoy those moments. But yeah, on this one, it does feel just a little bit out of place. I wish they had just and cut it also.
2: Yeah, agreed. Overall, I do think what I would like to finally say about this track is if, if you're a listener, you probably know it because you're listening to the Ozzy Osbourne podcast. But if you don't know this song and you're one of these people that frankly like to rip on New Ozzy this song is fucking incredible. And I think it's as good as most of his career. And I think it fits alongside any song from any album. And I know that's a big statement, but it's how strongly I feel about it. I think this is a classic, classic Aussie song.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I recommend headphones, turn the lights out, get all the distractions away and just immerse yourself in the five and a half minutes of this track is. And if you, if you don't come out loving at least something about it be it lyrics melodies solos i don't know what else to tell you I, it's just it's,
2: it's just not an ozzy fan at that point in my opinion i, yeah, I don't know how else
1: to say it oh no 100 and uh, you know and that's not to say that you have to like blow your load about every single track he's ever the man ever releases but like right. this one in particular for me like as i said at the very beginning is it's it is set apart from anything he's done in a very very long time For different reasons.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the key, Ryan. Like, when you guys – you guys – I will just wouldn't tell you. I'll spoiler alert. They're a bit bigger on this one than me. I love it. I love it. Uh But for these two guys, you're clearly hearing her how much they love this. Like, this is Ryan's favorite song of Ozzy in the last four or five albums. So, I mean, like, you're hearing it. But I think what makes it – it's like you said, you know, Ryan, yourself. It makes it – it stands apart. It's written. It's constructed different than most of the songs in his catalog are. And that's what makes it stand out. It's not repetitious in the slightest. This does not sound like any other track that he's ever released.
2: But it sounds like undeniably a classic Ozzy song.
0: Right. At the same time, it's which is fucking of hard to do. Under the Graveyard did that to me. Like right. It was a whole new sound, but it's still classic Ozzy at the same time.
1: But same, yeah. but for also for different reasons. Like it just for different even, reasons. even in old, yeah, even in, you can't even go back to like a Sabbath song that has this many layers and tempo changes. It's just, it's so, so different, so emotional and just just beautiful
2: i kind of compare mr darkness to age of reason from 13 and i don't think it sounds anything like it but for me it's undeniably such a fucking classic when the black sabbath fans rip on 13 i just always think have you even heard age of reason it's such a fucking incredible song and i mm. feel the same way about mr darkness in that way which is when they rip on patient number nine i'm just thinking are you an even an Aussie fan because mr darkness is a fucking classic it's just so yeah. awesome
0: I agree, man. I love it. Great track. Let's go ahead and let the ball busting begin. Let's rank it on the album, Dan. This is yeah. your favorite part. Lead us into this. Go ahead and let's get it going.
2: All right. So if you're new to the show, we are ranking. There's 12 songs that we're doing here. We're not counting Dark Side Blues. We're doing a, a top tier, a middle tier and a bottom tier. So four, four and four. This one is clearly in my top four by far. What do you have, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be in my top tier. <laughs> For sure. I so. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I can squeeze it
2: in. <laughs> Josh, where is it for you?
1: So for me, Mr. Darkness, oh. I have known from
0: the start is the track that should be higher. Like when I look at my listing and I say, gosh, I got to get Mr. Darkness up higher than that. But then when I look at the other songs, I just can't. I could potentially switch it with Immortal, possibly. Immortal's kind of slipped a touch for me as I'm as oh. worn on <laughs> yeah. a touch. But I'm going to stick with my original. I say Mr. Darkness is middle four.
1: Oh, But did it's we, high
0: middle four it's, did, it's definitely high middle four Dude you say maybe. that
2: every week high middle four <laughs> Every week <laughs> High middle four right, So we got all of these songs are high middle four
0: So we have a listener Dante Doomsday On Instagram who messaged and said Josh just to help you out I went back and listened to the previous podcast And found your patient number nine song rankings Unless they have changed since the podcast Of course they have but
1: whatever Once we get off this call you're gonna keep those headphones on, and you're gonna put on Mister Darkness, and then immediately afterwards you're gonna put on Immortal, and you tell me that your fucking order does not change after that listen. Yeah.
0: In all sincerity, I don't just say this to be you know, to agree with the group. Immortal has slipped. A t- Immortal was so easy to catch on to quickly, but as time has worn on, like S one, it's gotten a little more tired. Paint by numbers.
2: I yeah. do enjoy it though. I, I have to be yeah. honest. I think Ozzy needs to have those style of songs on his record that just wow like to me it's a lot like a no rest for the wicked track
0: yeah for sure it's like a, a modern flying high again or something like that to me like I, this is how i see it is like not it's that great but like it's you know this the rocker that's the one that I could, I could potentially flip those two mr darkness is definitely a fucking monstrosity but we'll say this every episode so we'll go ahead and throw it in one more time it's just how fucking powerful the album is Right. It's just no good. Dang and Gone Legit could be a top three song for me. And I have nowhere left to put it but in the bottom four. What the fuck? Yeah. And I you know, love that song.
2: Well, I, I'm not going to give anything away, but I texted these guys earlier this week and I, I mentioned a song that we haven't talked about yet. And I was like, God, even this song fucking is really good. And it's clearly going to be in my bottom four. And to yeah. Josh's point, it's just such a strong fucking record, man. This he hit a fucking home run. There is not a weak track on this record. There is not. Degradation Rules is in the bottom four, and it won a fucking Grammy. I mean, yeah. god damn. And we would all literally shit our pants and get an erection if Degradation Rules was played live.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no question <laughs> about it. Just don't stand anywhere near us, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, I said I'd shoot my load. That's the one line my wife heard last week. I came out of the office, and she's like, did you just say you were going to shoot your load? I was like, oh, yeah, we we're talking about <laughs> an awesome melody. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, guys. Ryan, thank you so much for being here, man. This has been way too long. And I got to be honest, guys, I know I was on hiatus, but I really am happy to be back. And you guys are awesome and some of my best friends. So thank you for everything. Ryan, do you have anything before we wrap it up?
1: No, no, I don't. I mean, I just thanks for I'm glad I'm glad it's back. I'm glad the engine's roaring again and glad that I was able to be a part of this one because it is it's going to go. The rest of my life is a top metal four
2: song.
0: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and also, so. I gotta give Ryan some props. He's wearing a downtrend shirt right now, which is my band. That's kick ass. He did design the shirt, so he's probably more promoting himself than the band, but whatever. But either way, it's fucking it works. So appreciate that, dude. No,
1: it's uh, it is, no, it, it was for you, but after this fucking episode, I'm probably just gonna donate it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't like
0: over the mountain, I don't care what you do. <laughs> oh, <Jesus laughs> Christ. Good point. So two <laughs> things real quick.
2: One Josh, make sure you listen for that eerie second voice in the second verse. It's Absolutely. really cool. Listeners, too. Try to try to find that voice. It's really fucking killer. And second, a little self-promotion here. My new, new single from my new band, Without Fear, debuts this Friday. So it's going to be on Spotify, Apple Music, on every streaming platform. Yes. I'm super excited about it. So please just take three and a half minutes, four minutes of your time and uh, listen to my brand new song. It's called Bridges. I'm super excited Absolutely. about it. What's the name of the band again? Something Without like Fear. Without fear. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Love the title too, Ms. Killer. That's awesome. All right, guys. With that said, until next time, we'll see you on the other side.
1: No, not I'm not gotten what I need from you. You know, and so I I did Ryan this fart on the that's show? What no, that was that? No, that was my phone. Did that pick so that got picked up?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it picked up. Sorry. That was awesome. Kinda like this. you
2: should have seen my face. Uh,
0: I, was yeah, like, I did see your face. It was uh, wonderful. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> all right,
2: <laughs> Ryan, I didn't hear a half a thing you said once the <laughs> fart noise happened. I was like uh-huh. a 12-year-old uh-huh. boy again.
0: Thanks for coming. No, thank you for
2: coming.